0: action in the street is exciting, but Jesus between all the bleeding and fighting, I've been reading and writing, we need to handle our financial situation, we'll be a nation of states, what's the state of our nation a past patiently, waiting, and a passionate, and every expectation, every action's an act of creation, I'm laughing in the face of casualty, sorrow. for the first time I'm thinking past tomorrow i not i not going here we go last.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome into a brand new episode of Let's Dive Deep. My name is Bradley.
0: My name is Connor,
1: and today we are going to be continuing our deep dive into the hit Broadway musical and pop culture phenomenon Hamilton.
0: During today's deep dive, we will be, for better or worse, focusing on songs 29 through 32. That's The Room Where It Happens, Schuyler Defeated, Cabinet Battle 2, and Washington on Your Side. As per usual, we will be taking into account the Disney Plus version of the musical, the soundtrack, and of course, the experience of seeing Hamilton live. So, no matter how or where you have experienced Hamilton before, this is the perfect place for you to be.
1: Just like all the other episodes of Let's Dive Deep ever created, this one may contain adult content. For us, it's mostly just swearing, but hey, you never know. Some one one time there'll be something that you just don't want your children to hear. So make sure you are listening to this podcast when there aren't children around. If you are choosing to do that though, this is just a little public service announcement that this podcast is not designed for that purpose.
0: Another thing that you might not want your children to hear again your child, your choice, up to you, is spoilers. Let's Dive Deep Hamilton does in fact contain spoilers. While our focus each episode is a specific set of songs, we will always take into account the entire musical to add context to our discussion.
1: If you are enjoying this podcast, you can find other Let's Dive Deep series in your favorite podcatcher. Up to the point of recording this, uh, we have all of Hamilton, of course, that we've done before this. I did a Let's Dive Deep season on the first season of Bridgerton, which is a good laugh because I am the worst possible person to be doing that podcast, so it's good fun. You can search Let's Dive Deep Bridgerton in your favorite podcatcher. You can check the, the show notes. And if you're enjoying this podcast, you might enjoy that as well. Lastly, please do not throw away your shot. Go and leave us a review somewhere, anywhere. It really helps get the podcast out to more people. We were just chatting before the, the, the this recording started about the numbers on the podcast. And it's super cool to see like you have March or you have April, I think we started then May was double what April was. June is getting double. Almost double what May is by the time it's over. So it's cool to see the podcast growing. And you guys leaving those reviews really, really helps that out. Also hit us up on Twitter at Let's Dive Deep. We had a few people hit up the Twitter account this week, which has been awesome. We also have an email address at let's or sorry, let's dive deep pod at gmail.com where you can send us your emails, your questions, your comments, your anything really, and uh, we will hopefully be able to integrate it into the podcast at some point.
0: That's the intro. That's the housekeeping. Now we're ready to go. So let's kick back, relax, maybe grab your beverage of choice. I've got mine. Let's hold our nose, close our eyes, and let's dive deep into Hamilton. Or did you know even then it doesn't matter where you put the U.S. capital. Because we'll have the banks. We're in the same spot. You got more than you gave. And I wanted what I got. When you got skin in the game, you stay in the game. But you don't get a win unless you play in the game. Oh, you get love for it. You get hate for it. You get nothing if you win. wait for it. Wait for it. Wait. God help and forgive me. I wanna build something that's gonna outlive me. What do you want? Her? What do you want? Do you want, if you stand for nothing. What are you fall for?
1: I. I wanna be in the room where it happens. The room where it happens. I. Be in the room where it happens, room, babe, it happen. the room where we'll it happens. I,
0: we'll I want to be, I <wanna> be <laughs> in the room where it happens. I want to have the room.
1: Tell them what they trade away We dream
0: of a brand new
1: start
0: But we dream in the dark for the most part
1: First two episodes of Act Two so far, you are in for a doozy of an episode today. We are back to four song episodes, just the way the songs broke down. One of those four songs is very much a song that we're going to have to spend a lot of time on. And that's The Room Where It Happens. Instantly iconic, incredible tune. We're going to talk all about it. I just want to give this public service announcement. While we endeavor to be the deepest to dive into Hamilton, there is... On the internet. You could talk about this song for 12 hours and still not hit every little nitpick bit of choreography, lighting, uh choices that Leslie Odom makes. Like all of it, all of it is incredible. And we're gonna do it in like an hour, an hour and a half. So just keep in mind if we didn't hit your favorite little thing in room where it happens, we know it exists. We just forgot to mention it and we're sorry. Otherwise, though. I don't even know where to start with this song other than I want to start for me with the concept of the song, because this just to me is one of the biggest kind of things you can point to and be like Lin-Manuel, whether he's writing in the Heights, whether it's Hamilton, like he himself is just a genius at writing these types of things at writing musicals and just writing in general, because he has this point, you're going through the story of Hamilton. And one of the big stories is his victory with his banking system. And you have to tell that story. It's a huge deal. You can't ignore it. But also you got none of the details because no one was in the room where it happened. So you have none of the details really about exactly how this came to be. It's all hearsay. It's all people claiming things, but no one else was in the room. So how do you get around that issue? You just write a song about not knowing the details and not only do you do that you make it one of the best songs in your musical like the whole idea of taking this problem and just writing a song about the problem is so clever to me that i just can never get over it every time i listen to it
0: it's a great take and it's a take that i share you know it's it's a a a point of view that i share as well and for me It harkens back to Hamilton approaching Burr to contribute to the Federalist Papers. We don't know if that happened. Of course, we can assume that it might have, but we don't know. It was just something that Lin-Manuel Miranda was musing about. Wouldn't it be interesting if this had happened, right? And him sharing his musings with us, the audience, pays off in these amazing ways. This is another example of that. And going a little bit deeper, diving a little bit deeper, if you would, Burr, in a way, becomes an avatar for the audience once again. No one else was in the room where it happened, including me. And I'm mad about it. I'm curious. I imagine you, dear audience member, might be curious about it, but I'm also mad. So let me be your avatar, but then also put my personal experience on top of it and yeah you get easily one of the most engaging energetic dynamic numbers in the entire show
1: it it, it's just flawless like it's just exquisite from top to bottom every detail is absolutely perfect right at the top of the song they have a little chat about general mercer you had a really good note about hamilton kind of being Focused on Mariah Reynolds and Burr interrupting him. And that that whole kind of setup is really, really good as Burr kind of comes to start the song. But there's just a little interlude that is almost unnecessary for the rest of the song, but it really helps dig into the death and legacy aspects of these characters and keeps us thinking about those things. You know, the story of Claremont Street and General Mercer right, is, is very unimportant to the whole story of of Hamilton, and the little bit about we should, we should try dying, that would be easier, right? It's like getting <laughs> us, like, it's unimportant stuff, but it primes us for when the important stuff on those topics comes later. We've at least heard mentions of it, it's still kind of in the air, it's in the background, and I think it's a really interesting choice, because it And one, on one hand, for me, it kind of doesn't really fit in with the song. More so, it sticks out than a lot of the other little bits of exposition or detours we take in the rest of the musical. But on the other hand, it fits perfectly with where we're going. And I just think it's a really interesting way to kick off a song that's going to be this hyped and energetic and crazy.
0: In terms of the orchestration, it fits, certainly. But lyrically, I get what you're saying. This introduction, it almost feels like a bridge. Or it feels like a connecting song, an intermediary song, rather than it's part of the room where it happens itself, right? If I'm if I'm hearing you correctly, yeah. It. And I and a, I agree with that, yeah.
1: There's just a lot of things we don't ever get to know about, right? Like we don't ever get. We, mm-hmm. There's so many people we haven't met. There's so many things we haven't seen in the music. Obviously, like Bad Plan, One Spy, Three Friends. That like Mercer and Claremont Street. Like we get to know about those things. Like okay, cool, I guess. And so like. In terms of the content you need to know about, it's very unimportant. But in terms of how it primes the content coming later that we do need to know about, I think it fits seamlessly. And then obviously the orchestration and the it musically it fits right in, or else I'd complain about it. Um, but I just think <laughs> out of all the things we don't get to hear about, like the cool story about the cannons and shit, like we don't get the cool cannon heist, right? But we get Claremont Street, and so I'm just it, it's a little jarring to me, but I enjoy the function it performs.
0: It interests me that it's jarring to you because I find this discussion at the beginning of this song to be very much connected to the core of who these two characters are. And so having it seems like we have very different takes on this introductory interlude.
1: My take ends as soon as we talk about Claremont Street is done Mm -hmm. because the bit about where they're talking like how are you going to get your debt plan through? That is just brilliant character work.
0: Right. But I, I agree with you there, but I also think that Claremont street is important because they use the word legacy. And when you're having a discussion about legacy between Hamilton and Burr or either one of them are talking about it on their own, everything around that word matters because they are both so deeply concerned with the matter of capital L legacy. And yeah. it's a it's a bit of a joke. I mean, the, the line, uh, all he had to do was die. That's a lot less work. Maybe we should give it a try. Like, if you know the story already, that's kind of like a waka waka moment. Like, I, one of us is gonna die. Maybe we, you know... Wouldn't it be better for me if you would do that sooner rather than later? Would you just die already? But at the same time, good old General Mercer, you get this implication of a callback to you punch the burser. Once again, we have this meeting of these two around the same rhyming scheme. And I I I think it's darling. It's it and it's and it, it also to me it evokes something that we've seen before. It has the same feeling of, can we get back to politics, please? Like oh, I this, love that so much. This, this kind of sets that up, you know? Like, there's a duality here. This is kind of like an instance of that moment. It's not explicit, but we're coming out of personal life and we're getting drawn back into the political realm. And... I, I I think it's fantastic. I I don't I don't find it jarring, but I wouldn't be surprised if you weren't the only listener, audience member. However, you experience this show, it wouldn't surprise me at all if you weren't the only person that was taken out of this moment just a little bit. Like, what do we? What are we doing here? Like, where, where does this moment fit in? Like, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about naming of a street. Like, because we've been talking about an affair. We've been talking about how we structure a brand new government. We've been talking about uh, how the first presidential cabinet is going to be structured. And now we're talking about how we name a street. But I think that how we name that street is crucially important to these two characters. Yeah, and that's why admit, we my see take it on a little stage. bit. I think yeah? we have
1: a, I th- I don't think our takes are identical. I think we're we have, we're, the Venn diagram is closer, and I'm not quite explaining my take properly. Maybe my take. So on your take, your
0: take is your your take is just warm at this point instead of hot is what you're right. saying. Right?
1: Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. I think for all the reasons about legacy and death and all of that, it fits perfectly. My thought is just that, like, you could come up with anything. Like, it doesn't need to be Claremont Street or General Mercer. You could make up a whole, like, the, you could write anything you wanted to perform that function, making the Claremont Street or General Mercer specifically, like, not crucial information. Mm, it, provi- mm-hmm. it performs a function, but the information isn't. Like, we're never going to come back to Claremont Street, and this is the only time we hear about General Mercer. Like those two things, like once it's performed the function of the legacy and all of that, then we just forget about them and move on. That's my take. And like that that could have been, that could have been anything. You could have written it. Just fits with the
0: rhyming and all that. It it does do that. So that okay. So that inspires me to ask you this: if it does function objectively in building the song, in making the song function, and we intro the song, we move forward. Then, then my next thing to ponder would be like, why, why is this? So we've we've made our decision as to why Lin Manuel Miranda at all would include this in the show. Is it more interesting to ponder why would Burr include this with his conversation with Hamilton? You know, well, is this a, know. is is this a character thing that we can discuss rather than just dialogue? Like, why does it show up in the dialogue? what starts in the character that puts this in the script, right? Yeah, so
1: Room Where It Happens is where we, we're we really getting into unreliable narrator Burr, who is telling us the story, but clearly now from his point of view and how he mm-hmm. feels about it, right? And that's like, it's a, it's a slow transition throughout the whole musical, but I think we're firmly now, we've crossed the middle point of like factual narrator Burr with a few of his own opinions mixed in. Now we're like, how Burr's telling you exactly what he wants you to know about these moments as a character. So that is interesting because I think for Burr, who's telling the story now, can we t- I just want to clarify where we stand on this narration because this song is so complicated. We could talk about it for twelve hours. My so
0: impression- far, so far, I agree with you completely. Just so like before you go understanding- on, I want you to know yeah. I agree with you. Completely. This is the Rubicon where we transition into Burr is only going to get more into unreliable narrator territory from here. So I agree with you completely, but please keep going.
1: So my impression of the narration for the whole song is similar to how it definitely is at the end of the musical. So at the end of the musical, like Burr justifies to us why he's about to shoot Hamilton or why he did it. It's like in the past tense, like he's there shooting him, but he's narrating past tense. So I'm, my assumption is he's telling us this story kind of after he's already killed ham like this is him like we're we're in his rocking chair i've already talked about this right so it is fascinating (laughs) that he would bring up like death in such a funny weird kind of quirky way where they're having a laugh about it when he already knows that his whole problem is that he's about to kill hamilton and we're gonna make him the villain so from a character point of view it does actually now stand out to be a little weirder to me specifically that all he had to do was die part but, hey, you know, a burr's a weird guy he's he's, yeah, I don't
0: know. He definitely is that, but I still think that this moment exists in capital C character burr mode. I don't think in this moment there is even a phantom of narrator Burr. I think this is pure character Burr, and this interchange. Is, a, is supposed to be presented to us as a pure person-to-person moment, right? I don't think that the tipping point into unreliable narrator Burr, like, really starts until Hamilton dismisses him and says, you know, things are happening over dinner. And then we start that direct address between Burr and the audience. I think that's where that pivot point comes, right? So I don't know if Burr here in this moment with Hamilton, I don't think we're supposed to interpret him as being aware of the ending of the story in this moment.
1: Sure. Uh, This is where the narration just gets funky because you have to figure out, as an audience member at lightning speed, as the musical's going, like it doesn't pause to explain which version of Burr you're getting. You just Mm -hmm. have to figure out which version of Burr you're getting. And anytime I'm a little confused by it, I always tend to tend to slide over to the he knows the ending Burr. But I think you're right that this is mostly character Burr. But in this whole song, it feels like it goes back and forth all the time. And so we're just I don't I I just like the narration, but it it helps me or it confuses me sometimes when you're trying to analyze specific lines of dialogue that character Burr might include, but unreliable narrator Burr who knows the ending might not. And so...
0: I think that it makes it more interesting on one level to assume that character Burr has some kind of foresight that narrator Burr is giving him as if, you know, this is, uh, Aaron and Burr's excellent adventure and future Burr is like setting up, you know, things for him from the future. For me, here's, here's my shorthand. Uh, I think and it's not a perfect rule, but it does me okay. When Burr is facing another character on stage, he is in the present day. And when it's direct address to the audience, it's the narrator and he knows how the story ends. That's a good that's rule to not, have. It's, it, it works for me, but I also acknowledge that it's not explicitly perfectly perfect. It's not. Because every now and again, you get burr facing the audience asking questions in real time that are emotionally very real, very relevant to the characters in that moment. When when burr says what did they say to you to get you to sell New York City down the river? He would know that if he was in the future, right? But then again, maybe he wouldn't. Maybe burr goes to his death never knowing what happened in the room and that's the point of the song right you know like that's like why this, the song exists the, that's you get into have, you get into the circle
1: board with the strings and the thumbtack yeah exactly
0: yeah exactly
1: <laughs> all right dear, dear audience <laughs> member listening to this podcast our official let's dive deep rule will imperfect will be if burr is facing another character he is in the present day if he is facing or directly addressing the audience he is omniscient narrator burr who knows how the story ends and is unreliably narrating it to us so we can enjoy this musical and this podcast for the sake of expediency though i don't think we can talk <laughs> about narrator burr for 160 years so the next thing that
0: happens with burr
1: <laughs> is hamilton kind of pokes fun at him a little bit and burr a curious guy he doesn't have many opinions yet and so he's gonna go to Hamilton. and he's like hey how are you gonna get your debt plan through i assume like four people in the cabinet or whatever it is like the president right i assume that like it's pretty well known that hamilton's trying to do this and so it's like well how how are you going to get your debt plan through and then hamilton is like well but You'll never guess. Remember, like, way back before the war, you said one thing to me one time? I'm going to take that advice way <laughs> later in a completely unrelated circumstance, and you're actually going to help me get my debt plan through, which is great for all of the reasons, character-wise, but also <laughs> because then when Burr when Burr takes Hamilton's advice, kind of, he kind of follows in Hamilton's footsteps a little bit in Skylar Defeated, but later, specifically, he'll call out um, when he's campaigning, you know, I learned that from you. So we're into this point now where the characters in their kind of downward spiral towards their duel are actually pulling parts from each other, which I just find fat. it's a fascinating little web between these two characters because you want this to show to end so differently because they could teach each other so much because in this moment, Hamilton's even acknowledging like, hey, I'm using the old burr strategy here and it's just. More webs and strings and stuff, but super fascinating.
0: I love that you're calling that moment out because I think that is specifically why the rest of this song happens. I think that Burr's anger, Burr's frustration, Burr's questions, all of this experience that we get to share with him the rest of the song, my opinion is that it stems from Burr realizing that Hamilton is being more successful because he's acting like me. Nobody acts more like myself than me. Right. Why, why is he more successful? Why he's okay. So let me get this straight. You are getting another chance to elevate yourself because you're doing a cover song of my playbook. And yet you're the one that gets to rise on top. And and that's like, that's why once again, he's pushed to the point where he can't hold his tongue anymore. It's like, seriously, you're stealing my moves and you get to be more successful. Okay, well, now I need to we need to go talk to the audience now. I'm going to be in the room where it happens. And if if and this dovetails with what you said. Okay, maybe it didn't. Maybe for some reason Burr being Burr doesn't work. Hamilton being Burr worked. Maybe Burr will be Hamilton. Maybe that's my key. Like can I can I combine the best of both worlds better than Hamilton did? Maybe that's how we get to the open campaigning. I learned it from you, Place, right?
1: Yeah. Like it's just the perfect example that if they could just stop being toddlers with all of their disagreements and actually like actively try to get along they could learn so much from each other because they do right they pull the best bits from each other and use them as they need to in act two to elevate themselves right and it's like it just makes it more tragic how it ends which is great writing because you can see you can see here that these guys could just be best friends and just conquer the world together and instead they're just determined to to kind of just I don't I don't even know what it is like it's just so convoluted and complex their relationship but they just seem so determined to not make it work with each other when they could just be the the dynamic duo that takes over everything
0: i think both the historical record and the musical teach us that Burr and Hamilton could have had a very good go of things as a collaborative unit because if we if we back out of the musical a little bit we we know that Hamilton would not have been a lawyer as early on as he was if it wasn't for Burr's help. And early on they litigated a couple cases together. They had a a kind of collaborative relationship. And in the musical we we also know that they practice law together. We know that Hamilton went to Burr's door at two o'clock in the morning, thirsty for help, you're a better lawyer than me. We know that they could have benefited from working with each other. And I think that that just makes this story so much more of the Greek tragedy that it already is. And it's, you know, sometimes... Sometimes reality is so much better than fiction. I don't know if you could make a more compelling story of two guys that were destined to destroy each other, but could have lived in ecstasy had they just worked together. I think that's a really great point. Like, I don't see, I don't see how you can look at this story from from the biographical POV or just watching the musical. I think that any. <laughs> Any examination of this story supports what you just said. Like, yeah, 100%. If they had just, oh, shit, I think even Burr agrees with you. I think even Burr agrees with you, Bradley. Well, yeah, when the, you the word, look, the world was wide enough for both Hamilton and me. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, the story itself and Burr, like, you eventually, it, it it's borne out that that's true
1: yeah all right
0: we covered uh, that now
1: i'm gonna cover a <laughs> lot of ground with a recap here and then we're just gonna talk about whichever bits and hop around the next couple things that happen are uh the first thing i want to call out is this kind of under theme of this being like some kind of game that hamilton's playing i really like taking something boring like banking stuff and making it like a cabinet battle a rap battle or a game like um you know hate the sin love the sinner like that's a very like he's about to go in with a game plan Mm -hmm. with a strategy and win them over and that's all really fun the next really important thing that happens character wise though is he pretty much like tells bear like yeah fuck off like i'm going to dinner with these important people Mm -hmm. to do all of these important things and you are not so see (laughs) you mate
0: (laughs) yeah and that You know, I think that this is another moment in a trend that's been established before, uh, talking about rank earlier around the wedding, right? Uh, Congrats to you, Lieutenant Colonel, uh, that whole thing. Uh, But I think that uh, what you have uh, in your notes about Burr looking so hurt when Hamilton dismisses him, like, that is a real moment. I think that that is another moment that contributes to burr being like all right i am i I will be going off soon and it's another dig from hamilton saying i'm this is kind of what this is another thing that instigates the whole discussion of who's in the room where it happens and who's not hamilton did not have to do that he chose to no, be a little not. bit spiteful.
1: They're determined to spite each other. Like, Hamilton did not need to be a dick about it. But he definitely had to, like, sassily be like, ha, I'm sorry, Burr, I've got to go to my cool, fancy dinner. And it's like, okay, thanks, Hamilton. Like, mm-hmm. way to help this whole situation. Fucking be- S- we, we still I still hate him, by the way. I'm not over with the shit he did with Eliza in the last podcast or with Mariah. Don't you listeners think that I've forgotten last podcast episode, all right?
0: speaking of this cool fancy dinner i really appreciate your exploration in the notes about jefferson going out of his way to make this a big deal oh
1: dude like dude do you want a reward would you like a cookie i arranged the menu (laughs) the venue this it's like you went for dinner what do you mean like how much more this isn't a wedding reception like, I don't know, I just, the whole, every time Jefferson does that, I, I always have the same mental, like, it fits with the character, but I'm always like, would you like a medal? Would you like a high five? Are you going for a hug? Like, what do you need? It's, it comes across as very needy to me. Like, hey, look at me planning a dinner. I did this.
0: Here's my guesses there. Number one, I think that our experience of it is intended to be informed by the preface Thomas claims. I think that Thomas claims is important because Thomas is now given also the label of being unreliable, right? Because no one else was in the room where it happened. And in case you forget, we're going to repeat that line eight or 10 different times, right? Right. But I think that the, the inference there for me is if this decision is eventually successful, if history remembers that this was a good thing that came out of this meeting, Thomas Jefferson wants to take some credit for it. That's why he's saying I helped. I picked out the napkins. Uh, I picked up the centerpiece. I was there. I, uh, you know, there was like Madison and John Jay and I, we were debating as to whether we needed soup spoons or not. I said, we need soup spoons. That's like, that's that, why I, Jeff, That's my yeah.
1: headcanon for how this goes. Because it's not, I, like, it would make more sense to me if he was claiming that he arranged, like the concept of the dinner of compromising and coming together. And like, that's, that's all makes more sense to me. But what he, what Thomas claims he wants credit for <laughs> is the menu. Mm-hmm. Like, what? Oh, like I have the same reaction. Like, okay, Thomas, cool. Like, great. You did good. You had dinner. Well organized. Good job.
0: My interpretation is that Jefferson did propose the dinner entirely. That's yeah, my reading did. of the lyrics. He did. Yeah. But he,
1: it's just weird. like he did. But he, like, it's the mentioning of specifically the menu, the venue, and the seating. Right? Additionally, he definitely did come across, like, I know you hate him, but let's hear what he has to say. Like, that happened. For sure. But also, he adds, Thomas can claim anything here. He can claim whatever he wants, and he chooses to claim. It's just a small thing, and I think it's hilarious. The menu. Like, cool, Thomas. Great job. Well done.
0: I think that it's three things. I think it's a small thing. I think it's clever. But I also think that it's crucially important. Because he's saying, I invested energy in this. I invested my thought in this. But he's not claiming to have been the starting point for any of the ideas that come out of the meeting. Right? He's not saying, I wanted to move the capital. He's not saying, I gave Hamilton control over American banking. He's just saying, I made it happen. So I can still take some credit, but I can take credit in terms of facilitating, not if later on down the road you disapprove of my ideas, you can't blame me for it because all of the ideas were Hamilton. All I I did... I I did the menu. I did the menu. Well, yeah, exactly. What (laughs) Jefferson is saying is I made the room where things could happen. Hamilton made things happen, and in a way... And I don't know if I've ever thought about this before, but now that I've said all of that out loud, it leads me to believe that that is a very Aaron Burr point of view to take. That is a very that is that is the musical putting Jefferson in a position of like, "I'm waiting to see which way the winds will blow." I do not want to be ridiculed by public opinion later, so I'm going to claim that i enabled all of this to happen but what actually happened was between hamilton and the other virginians because it was madison with virginian insight who came right. and said this right
1: yeah and it was madison's idea was the swap like maybe we can mm-hmm. solve one problem with another all right we're getting ahead <laughs> Before oh this sorry thing, yeah no no it's all good but I that's th- that's
0: that's kind of why we're doing all of these together, though, right? They do, yeah. they do dovetail in an interesting way.
1: I just worry we'll miss something.
0: I, just I don't worry, want like, to do lo- that. Yeah. Right,
1: I'm just going to uh, quick re- reverse. Before everyone actually <laughs> sits at the table, Burr like, sets it up for us, which I think is cool. It's fun. Like, two Virginians and an immigrant walk into a room, right? He just kind of sets up the set dressing. They're diametrically opposed foes. But he's going to give us the ending of this meeting, and then we'll dive into it, which I think is cool. It fits with how Hamilton kind of works. If We learn at the very beginning that he shoots Hamilton. And then we tell the story in between. It's kind of like that within this song, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. yet they emerge with a compromise, right? The immigrant, which is like, can we... Look, I get it. This dude was rushing. Anyways, it doesn't matter. I'm going to keep being upset about that. <laughs> we
0: talked right. about that already. But yeah, I, I think that <laughs> it, it's a current... It's an ongoing thing. Burr is proud of being native-born. Hamilton is not. It's another way he can remind the audience that Hamilton is different from different from him. He's going to keep bringing it up.
1: Right. So the Virginians emerge with the na- nation's capital, and Hamilton emerges with his banking bit. But we don't know how that happened yet. We're about to dive into it. My big question here, and I know this is just the musical, and in real life these types of negotiations, you go back and forth, and Washington's involved, and all like Congress is involved, and all that stuff. But in the musical, I just always find it fun that Hamilton just gets to negotiate the location of the Capitol. Like mm-hmm. our man's the mm-hmm. Treasury Secretary, which Jefferson's gonna call out in the rap battle very effectively, in my opinion. Like what the you're not the Secretary of State, dude. Like get the fuck out of here. It's the same with this. Like why is Hamilton here? Get why does he get to negotiate where the capital goes? It doesn't seem in the purview of the the treasury guy.
0: And now it's time for another episode of D. Connor McVeigh's Hamilton Counseling. Bradley, you seem distraught. You seem concerned. <laughs> if I if I may if I can offer you some comfort, I don't. I don't want to you know be an imposition. I don't want to be an inconvenience. But you seem concerned. Would you? Would you allow me to consult the text and maybe offer you some headcanon that may get you out of this emotional quagmire? Absolutely.
1: Minor? I would love some okay. headcanon.
0: So here's, here is my Hamilton counseling for you in this moment. Number one, seated at the right hand of the father. No one else. So the cabinet has multiple members. We've got Knox. We've got Jefferson but it's Hamilton that we, are, we canonically know is considered in the text of the show to be at the right hand of the father. Number two, controlling the treasury at this point, like, everybody, everybody is really concerned with his debt plan. That seems to be crucially important, right? And it's crucially important domestically. Jefferson brings up that whole you are not Secretary of State thing later because that matters internationally. So we have evidence from the text, not even going to Chernow or Wikipedia or Hamilnerds.com if it exists. Uh oh, like we, we understand, that. oh God, can we look can that up? That if-
1: Before this airs. <laughs> Haml nerds. Yeah, stuff. Okay, yeah
0: we need to we need to look that up anyway. But if you wanted to do that you would learn that the treasury department at this point was the majority of the government because you can't do anything if you can't spend money right? right so where the capital sits is a domestic issue the the cabinet at this point you've got a war department you've got a treasury department you've got a state department where the capital sits is not an international issue and it's not a matter of what the Army and Navy do. So the only other person, if it's going to be a a member of cabinet that figures this shit out, it's actually going to be the Treasury Secretary because it's going to involve spending money. And if the Capitol is eventually decided to be New York... Uh, then you might spend some less money. But if you can make a deal and move it to the Potomac, why not? But also, here's here's another thing. It's not that... And maybe this isn't represented well in the show. It's not at, like at the end of this dinner, it was just, hey, Washington, D.C., which we're going to call it later, that's going to be in this swamp on the Potomac next to Arlington, Virginia. And we're done. Let's all go home. It's that they were all approving this plan to propose. It's similar to the cabinet battle discussion where it's like, well, if this is subject to congressional approval, then what does it matter that we're actually debating it here? Like if it's Congress, that's going to decide it, what does it matter? It's that they had an alliance. Now they could take this plan to the rest of the government and make it happen because they were in agreement. The Jeffersonian, democratic republicans and the washingtonian federalists are now all together that's what matters coming out of the meeting right the show gives hamilton more lunar unilateral power because the show is called hamilton and he's one of the hamiltons in the show you know what i mean
1: yeah gotcha that that all makes sense i just think it's a fun little thing i guess I never thought about like who would it be if it wasn't Hamilton because there's not like a capital department in the <laughs> no there's the s- cabinet either.
0: Yeah, I mean, and there's no there's no cabinet in the Constitution. Washington figuring out who he was going to have advise him was catch as catch can. He was figuring that out day by day. The cabinet just kind of happened. the The presidential cabinet does not exist really in federal documentation it just happened so i guess i guess the best way to put it is that every american experiment sets a precedent yeah definitely (laughs) and this is another one of those instances i hope that i hope that today's session of hamilton counseling was beneficial to you i hope that you keep coming back if it if it's helping you Bradley.
1: I feel relieved. So I feel glad. like I have a structured head cannon that I can work with, and I am ready to move on. The next thing in Room Where It Happened, other than I'm just gonna kind of skip over like every time Burr does the Room Where It Happened over and over and over again. That's all awesome. I think I'm gonna mm-hmm. talk about that at the end when he does the running to the table, jumping stuff because that's the coolest yeah. one. Um, but the next kind of thing that happens is Burr. It kind of explains. Like, we don't know the, how many pieces are sacrificed in every game of chess. We don't know any. Like, we just assume that it happens. And I just like calling this out because that's how real life works. Like, I have no idea what Justin Trudeau does in a day. Right? He's the prime minister of my country. I don't know what his daily schedule is like. I just assume mm-hmm. he's going to meetings that he should be going to. And, like, when there's problems, he's doing prime minister things to solve them. And I just assume that he shows up in Parliament when he's meant to, to talk about what he's meant to talk. You know what I mean? Like, you just assume that this all happens. Like, you don't... There's no way to know. And even if you could know, there's no way to, like, actually pay attention and care about all of it. And so, as humans, we just, like, yep, they're doing their thing. They're... what I don't know what they're... I have no idea what he does in a day. And I just like that Burr's calling it out here, because that's still true in real life. That's not even just a Hamilton-Burr problem. That is just something that's very true to life and how systems of organizing human beings are set up that once they're set up the people who are running like you just assume that it happens like at work when people come like i run an outdoor school when people come up they just they just get on their boat and they just come to camp like they they just assume that some level of planning went into that but they don't care or know or ask or whatever right they just assume that it happened that someone scheduled the boat Someone told the captain where to be and what time to be there. Someone told them where they, right? Like, they just assume that it happens. And it's very true to life.
0: Another way for Burr to endear himself to the audience. I get it. You don't know what happens every time someone makes a decision. Neither do I. I get it. I'm one of you. I'm the common man. Yeah. yeah. I'm with you there. And we use the same I am with you there. Like, absolutely.
1: We use this same, like, logic kind of, like, this lack of curiosity or just lack of being able to even know and we like hinge our lives on it like every time I get into a plane an airplane I don't know what an airplane maintenance schedule is like I just assume that when the airplane is broken or needs maintenance that qualified people are doing it and I just assume that the person flying my plane has a pilot's license but I don't know what pilot license school is like right like there's so much of life that we'll like hinge our lives on right that's just we just assume that it happened we just assume that something good happened and we're willing to risk it on that and i just think I don't, it's a cool thing to bring up specifically because it endears you to bur but also cuz that's just how human beings work and i like that humanizing the characters is is an ongoing thing in this musical
0: i do too i completely agree i haven't honestly Nothing to add or disagree, shall we carry on?
1: yeah, I'm trying I just there's so many notes I'm trying to go in the in the the correct order uh um, it's a this is where it's we a
0: big to, old song, man. It's a lot. This is
1: where I got to Thomas wanting a cookie. We covered that Thomas cookie covered um, oh, this is my next part, so now we're getting into the the bit of the song where they kind of go over how this happened, right? Maybe we can solve one problem with another, win a victory for the Southerners. So you you start getting the idea there's going to be a compromise here, that the capital is going to, to be a victory for the Southerners, and Hamilton's victory is going to be his financial plan. In my notes, I put, and I get, that commute lengths are way longer in whenever this is happening, the early 1800s, I think. So I understand, but like, this is a financial plan. You are fundamentally morally opposed to, as we saw in cabinet battle. Number one, this is something that both of the people in this dinner are super opposed to, and they will give the entire thing to Hamilton, the entire thing for what is in the musical pretty much described as like a shorter commute. Like, wouldn't you like to work a little closer to home? They don't really dive any deeper into why this is important or why this is a victory for Southerners other than the commute time, right? So I can infer the myriad reasons why this might be important, but within the musical context, it kind of seems like this thing that they're super morally opposed to, they're just going to give it away for a shorter commute, which I think, and it ends up being a bad trade, but I think it's a terrible trade.
0: It is a terrible trade That requires that you assume Madison is being literal there. And maybe I'm being too uh, deferential. I'm being too generous to the Southerners here. It's possible that Madison is saying, wouldn't you like to work a little closer to home with a wink and a nod to Jefferson, right? When he says, wouldn't you like to work a little closer to home? It's possible, that's a euphemism. And he's saying to Jefferson, my plan is we get the we get the national capital in the south. That's what leads him to say, "Oh, yeah. You would?" Okay, the Potomac. Like that's that's Madison saying, "I've got an idea." Wink wink nudge nudge, say no more. What what? Like that's him him saying, you know, uh but you know, I feel like at the same time, Madison and Jefferson have a relationship where they don't need innuendo. They don't need subtlety. Madison could just come out and tell Jefferson, yeah, I want to work at home. So I, I I get it either way. You know, I don't I don't know what is the proper line reading there. I don't get Madison as portrayed by Oak as a character that really delves in subtlety and innuendo. He's kind of just out there. You know what I mean? Right. Um. And so, if that is all true, if that's the line reading that you take, if that's the way you interpret it, then I guess we're supposed to intuit this as the text telling us that the Democratic Republican Southerners here are the bad guys, that they make this decision out of laziness, and that Hamilton truly is the victor, both strategically and morally. So maybe more. I don't. I don't know.
1: More importantly to my point, the commute bit is just something I find funny. Obviously, there are other reasons why having the national capital is important. I just like that the only stated reason, literally, if you take the text that way, is that the commute time is shorter. right? But more importantly, it shows that they completely have misread Hamilton as an individual. Because everything we know about him, we know 100% this guy does not give a fuck where the capital goes. He doesn't give a shit. He's not, it's not even a compromise for him. Like you just gave him everything you wanted and he does not care. It's not like you had two differing versions of the same thing and you met somewhere in the middle. You showed up, gave Hamilton everything that he wanted and he gave up nothing that he was trying to keep or cares about. Like more importantly to the characters, it shows that Jefferson and Madison did not, they just completely misread this situation entirely because this is a terrible deal for them to make in terms of something that they are established, like, reprehensibly opposed to. Like, they've already established in the cabinet battle that this is something they... Like, they... this, This is an affront to them. This isn't, like, some plan they don't like. They specifically hate it for a lot of reasons. And to give that away to someone for something they don't care about is a complete misread of the whole situation.
0: Yeah. They done fucked up. I mean, they really did. They
1: need... They had a worse plan. They need one spy. The scouting report came back. They got all the numbers wrong, and they made a bad trade. They need a. They need a spy. Someone what just hey, can you ask up. Hamilton? Can you ask Hamilton if he cares about the capital? Can somebody? Can one person ask Hamilton if he cares about the capital? Just offhand, off the record, and let us know what he says. That's all you had to do. That's all you had to do. Use one spy. Ask him a single question once. And you, the financial plan doesn't happen. But no, no, no. You fucked the whole thing up because you didn't want to do your scouting properly. Sorry. That's they my can't strength. do that
0: because we had to retire Hercules Mulligan so that his actor could play Madison. So that's why <laughs> they don't have a spy. Yeah, that's why they don't right, have a right. spy. They had, they had to have known that Hamilton was capable of something this shrewd, right? They knew Hamilton. They knew him. Madison and Hamilton worked together on the Federalist Papers.
1: That's what I'm saying. It makes, like, it's mind-boggling how they, mess, like, they misread this much. Because even if we know enough about Hamilton to know that he's not going to care at all about the capital if you give him his financial plan.
0: And really, all he's going to care about is that history remembers him as the victor. Whether it's the financial plan or the capital, whatever, he doesn't actually matter. What he cares about is being remembered as being successful in this negotiation. And I think history does indeed remember him as the winner here. Yes. The show definitely does. The show definitely considers him the winner here. Uh, I couldn't, uh, what's the line? Uh, I, I couldn't destroy his financial plan if I tried and I tried
1: and I tried. Yeah. Yeah. I also want to do just a quick, really quick one minute. Uh, I know I did this uh, in another episode of the podcast. Just a quick uh, shout for all my non-American friends out there who are listening. Um, when I first watched, unlike the other one with Yorktown being in Virginia, which I already knew, coming into Hamilton, I did not know that the Capitol was seated on the Potomac and that the Potomac was a river. So when I first listened to Hamilton... I thought the Potomac, it kind of sounded like a medicine to me, as if he was like proposing, like, I'll propose the solution. I'll propose the Potomac. Like I'll propose the the thing that'll solve the problem. But I didn't know the Potomac was a river. It just sounds like a type of medicine or a type of salve for the situation. So for all my non-American friends who are now discovering that the Potomac is a river, and he's proposing that as the location for the capital, don't feel bad if on your first listen through... You thought the Potomac was literally anything else, anyways that's my That's my shout to the non American listeners of Hamilton and my American friends who also didn't know the Potomac was a river, although I'm sure there are fewer of you
0: i It's so interesting when we have these moments, right because i you know i have i I've just known these terms, I've known these names just growing up, right. And i I benefit from the non-American experience of Hamilton, because it's a window into moments where the show doesn't explain itself well enough, right? Because you could miss things on a on an first viewing.: Absolutely
1: moving moving on through the song, we then have Burr. Kind of the outcome has happened. The swap has kind of been made or they're at least working through it. And Burr starts questioning Hamilton here. Did Washington know about the dinner? Was there presidential pressure to deliver? Like he keeps asking these questions. And then we get back to that kind of game theory that we were talking about at the beginning. Because then he asked Hamilton and Hamilton's like really into it. Like we'll have the banks. We're in the same spot. And then Burr is realizing what a just, what a, what a, heist this was from hamilton right burr is realizing in real time like oh you got more than you gave and hamilton's like and i got or i wanted what i got right and then he gives this lesson to burr like when you've got skin in the game you stay in the game but you don't get a win unless you play in the game kind of calling out to burr like you don't play dude like i'm here playing the game all the time i'm always playing the game and you're never playing the game like what do you want And I think this is the full, the last point where these guys are ever friends. Like this is the last because Burr, this is a a challenge and the music slows. It comes down and Burr is now left to be like, I want to be in the room where it happens. He's been singing it the whole time, but this is where character wise, he really like sits with that after Hamilton challenges him.
0: I think you're proved correct by the fact that Skylar Defeated follows this very, very shortly.
1: Very shortly,
0: indeed. This is the this is the last moment. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah.
1: What do you make of Burr? What do you make of the challenge to Burr here, though? Because unlike the other thing at the top, I don't think this is like facetious from Hamilton. I think like Hamilton's like, like, dude, like if this is what you want, like play the game, my guy. And then he's gonna get mad when he plays the game later, which is dumb, but whatever. Right. Like, what do you make of Hamilton challenging Burr like this? or Burr telling us that Hamilton challenged him like this.
0: It's a curious moment, right? And I appreciate your addendum on the end there, because at the beginning of this little scenelet, this brief moment, it feels as though Hamilton is not talking to Burr. It feels like Hamilton is talking to himself, the audience, or Washington maybe, but it feels like he's talking to anybody but Burr. This feels like a soliloquy. This feels like it's alone and he's out of time from Burr. Like, Burr is reaching out and trying to interact with Hamilton, but it feels like Hamilton is not in the same time and space as Burr. But when they do connect and Hamilton does challenge Burr, I really do think that's the that's the point where Burr has to, like, answer, right? and And that spurs him into the finale of Room Where It Happened. Uh, I think that buried... So that's generally how I approach this moment. In trying to specifically answer your question, I think that there's a couple things that really poke at Aaron Bird here. Number one, I want to build something that's going to outlive me. I think at this point, the only thing that Burr has that's going to outlive him is Theodosia. He doesn't have a public record yet that is going to sustain his legacy. And number two, the reiteration of, if you stand for nothing, Burr, what do you fall for? I think it's just like, okay, you're going to put that in my face one more time. You're going to say that again. That specific line, you're going to say it again. And I think that's what propels us into the end of this number.
1: I, the narration really helps. So I'm gonna, I want to do one more red line moving kind of thing with you. Sure. Just okay. see if I can nail down this narration. Because I think this is yeah. like underlying bit of like masterpiece writing. But only if the narration works the way I think it does. So mm-hmm. the specific like you get nothing if you wait for it, wait, for it, wait. Right yeah, like the way, like to me, that's full on, unreliable Burr narrating Hamilton in that moment, and here's why I think that, but I think it it fits perfectly that's such I think I have a moment. good
0: guess, but I want to hear you say it.
1: So wait for it. the song, right? That's something Hamilton did not witness. That is something that Burr sang for us, and it's a very emotional song. He talks about his mom and his father, and like it's a very like emotional song and so in my head burr has created hamilton here right and created this moment that probably didn't happen of hamilton not just digging at the song right the wait for that hamilton doesn't know that exists right but that whole song and what that meant to burr that was his big show-off performance in act one like that's a huge deal to him and he's kind of like he's determined to dislike hamilton at this point, and he's creating that moment To kind of slander, so Hamilton can like slander all of the things he talked about in that song, and the way the way Lin Manuel acts it is like he's a complete asshole. Like Hamilton's capable of being an asshole, but like the the like the weird like wait for it as if it's like a joke or something. I don't know. I just that's how I've always interpreted that moment. If the narration tracks, but it's perfect. It's so good.
0: Absolutely, this is Burr putting his fear. Of Hamilton. This is Burr putting his belief that Hamilton is always mocking him. And he's projecting onto Hamilton the ability to mock him by using his own words. And I think that's why Hamilton is disconnected in performance in this moment, where he's facing out instead of facing Burr because he's not actually there. He's a projection from Burr for the audience. And then that is why you get that, that shoulder shudder that you just did so well. You know, he's, he's supposed to be... Hamilton is supposed to be some kind of ghoulish nemesis to Burr in this moment. Because we're getting it from now. Now we have the combination of character and narrator Burr. Now we have the moment in the show where... Oh, by the way, sorry you didn't get the memo. Uh, character Burr is going to be narrating this from now on. I am I am done I am done being objective. You are not going to get any objective info from me anymore. You like the rest of the story is is going to kind of exist in my memory and it's a dark place so buckle up buttercup. It's not going to be fun. You know, yeah, I completely agree with you. And that's why we get this mocking twisted version of Hamilton here because it's the version of Hamilton that burr has created for us and what starts here what you're suggesting here and uh, one reason i completely agree with it is that i think what starts here is a straight line to wide enough and you know things like uh he was wearing his glasses why if not to take deadly aim it's me or him like he like this his opinion is um mm, odd grammar. I was about to I was about to commit so many grammatical sins there. So I'm <laughs> gonna rephrase and I caught myself. Thank goodness. I think this sets the foundation for the vitriol and the bias that we get at the end of the show. I think this is when we really hit that pivot point into. I'm starting to take over and I'm starting to color the second act of the show with my opinion of Hamilton, much more so than I did in act one, right? This is when we really get into R2D2 narrator territory. I you can't trust me for shit at this point. Right, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Um, so this challenge happens, and I think this part. There's so much going on that we've already missed with regards to, like, the extracurriculars, like the lighting, the... And I don't say that, for all you theater people, not because your job's not important, but just extracurricular to what we were just talking about, not in general, if that distinction makes any sense. Anyways, we already missed so many different things with the lighting, the choreography, the staging, the blocking, and all that. But this kind of moment coming up right here where Burr... Is going through all of his choreo and he's running around and he's jumping on the table, and the company is just doing it all with him. And you have the whole cast standing for a lot of these, all of these songs, really. You have lots of moments where the cast, various characters that aren't witnessing the moment, are there kind of challenging Burr along with Hamilton. I just, I just, I just want to use this moment in time to call out all of that is just being absolutely incredible for this number because i know i'm gonna miss ev- some mostly everything to be honest and i just wanted to call the whole thing out in this one moment where i think it all comes together perfectly as being just incredible job by everyone involved in this production
0: the song on the whole you know i think fits into that description as well i think we're wise to say look it's a beast of a number you know we could i think we could have our own revisit episode on just this track but yeah I mean it's the, the staging's amazing and what you're talking about everybody surrounding uh, Burr and Hamilton everybody putting themselves on the perimeter really does like it reminds you the focus is here it reminds like and it just adds to the cacophony of what do you want what do you want Burr what are you going to do and <coughs> Excuse me. And I also think that if we're talking about Burr creating this version of Hamilton, ooh, I love that you just brought all that up. Can we then believe, can we then assume that Burr is creating the ensemble here as well? That's how much he yeah. feels pressured, right? That's how much he feels pressured to succeed, to take over. That that one antagonist at this point is not enough. One Hamilton is not enough. He has to have the ensemble backing Hamilton up, right? Burr thinks that he's got a whole, like, clan of hyenas out in the Deadlands that are out to come and get him, right? Coming out from where the light does not touch. And they're all out to get him. It's not just Hamilton. It's Hamilton and the ensemble.
1: I've always interpreted it that way. Like, he... It's kind of like paranoia. Like, he's just projecting... All mm-hmm. of this on to everyone like everyone is challenging him everyone feels this way everyone's on him for one thing or another and that, that immense pressure i've always interpreted that way because it kind of needs to be that way mm-hmm. to to really understand just how much pressure he's under to succeed to to understand his actions when he goes and takes the senate seat when he duels hamilton like all of these things that he's about to go do you need that propulsion, that base to work from. And I think this is that base. Like the room where it happened functions as the base for Burr's character for the rest of the musical. So I think him projecting all of that would have to be the case to understand just how much pressure he's putting himself under to do all these things.
0: Yeah, I think I agree with you there. I really do. I I really feel that in this number. I know when you said the word base just now, you said it. B-A-S-E. I want to take a brief moment, if I may, to talk about bass, B-A-S-S, if that's okay. It's oh, a bit yeah, of a, a yeah. divergence. But uh, but there is something, you know, talking about the opposition and the conflict that that Burr feels relevant to what we were just talking about that does, for me, it does transcend into a discussion about music a little bit because one thing that I love about Room Where it happens is that it feels very much connected to what did I miss, and it feels less connected to dear Theodosia and wait for it it we're kinda and it doesn't feel connected to nonstop either. It has this very southern swung ragtime feel, but also. This persistent uh this is where the bass comes in this persistent four on the floor rhythm it's a very one two three four thing, whereas everything that we've seen from Burr earlier has been more syncopated, and it's been more of this like uh you know a, a more of a Caribbean Bahamian uh island dance hall type of motif and I don't know, there's something about the orchestration here that I think implies Burr is already getting on line with the Southerners. He is becoming more loyal to the Democratic-Republicans. He's becoming more loyal to the Jeffersonians, right? And I think that that's a kind of, it's a little Easter egg in the music that his orchestration here is more Southern. And there's more that, and the change, part of the change is in the bass line which is what uh caused me to think of it. I just think it's such a sweet and subtle choice that they make here. You know, we don't have we don't have that uh reggaeton feel from earlier. We have that we have that feeling from what did I miss now applied to Burr for room where it happens. And we see the union of burr with hamilton's opposition on stage but we also hear it in the orchestration and i think that it's subtle but very well done just wanted to call attention to that as soon as i had the opportunity to because absolutely really do, it's, i think it's worth putting like out everything I, I else, think it's, it's like
1: everything else it's incredibly well done and it's very subtle it might not be something you pick up on but it's definitely something that kind of you don't know what's happening, but it is preparing you for the, the next kind of thing. Some of those yeah. lines are also very interesting. He keeps saying all these things that are very true to to life still. Um, I think they're a little less interesting, but I still like calling out, like, we want our leaders to save the day, but we don't get a say in what they trade away. Like, that is still something that is very true to life that I find still resonates in, in 2021 when we're recording this. So I like that this song is also timeless in a way. Like, it, it's, a, it's 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 kind of like... It's a song based around the time period that Hamilton is, but it's a song that's just very timeless. It doesn't seem to fit specifically in Hamilton. It could just be outside of Hamilton and exist as as something that a lot of people might feel in, in just their everyday lives. And I think that quality of The Room Where It Happens helps propel it up. I mean, I'm not going to give away my song list ranking because I haven't done it yet. All right, but I think for most people room where it happens is definitely in your top five probably most people have it in the top three right like i think that kind of relatability and timelessness of the whole thing does kind of add even on top of all the other stuff and leslie odom just nuts just absolutely bonkers good um but i think i think the timelessness specifically of it is something that's always stood out to me
0: yeah we've talked before about how this guy has no ceiling i mean him and him and david but like leslie just when you think that he can't reach for more he's got another gear on that transmission that he can just slip into you know and he can he can find it and he will he will swing for the fences man i don't know how many more metaphors i've got in my back pocket to describe how good he is but like he is just so good it was very
1: it was very good when i watched it live leslie odom was definitely better though There's Mm -hmm. something about the way he does this. And I know it's the Disney Plus version and maybe it's just the angles I'm getting of being really close up in the facial expressions and everything that's doing it for me. There's just something in the it's like suave. It's effortless. Leslie Odom makes it look effortless to perform this song. And he gets every bit of choreography, every tone, every all the line readings, all the singing, like perfect. But as if he as if that he just wakes up and can do this. Like, as if he's just, I don't know, it's, it's bonkers good. It's incredible. Yeah,
0: it, it really is. It's approaching unbelievable how good it is. Right. He's so All right, before good we move,
1: Before we move on, I don't want to give away any awards, but can I, can I give away a, a Bradley Award for best ending to a song in Hamilton? The click boom, like, fucked me up when I saw it the first time. I was like, holy shit. That is cool, like that is oh.
0: the uh, the backlit live move into the button is one of the greatest light cues I have ever seen in my life and I another thing I love is uh, on the Disney plus version, they slow it down a little bit, so you get this breath between click and boom. it's just a tad slower than it is on the cast album but yeah it is it is amazing and that the silhouette of leslie uh odom jr in that backlight at the end just head down at the at the end of all of that momentous energy you get this moment of silence but still like he is revved up you can see he's still like, he has so much energy in him, right? It is not a static moment. Yeah, it is a very... The ending of this song is fucking powerful. And it's powerful in its simplicity. It's so damn good. It's not... It's not Yorktown. It's not all right. of this non, you know? It's just... It's simple. It's profound. And momentous.
1: All right. I know 100% I did not cover everything I wanted to cover and that I could have talked about that song for 12 hours. But I think that I am satisfied with how we just covered The Room Where It Happens. Is there anything else you want to call out before we inevitably do our return to The Room Where It Happens in an after podcast special episode?
0: I will never be satisfied. And I do agree with you. I think we are going to return to this number i think that there are going to be some questions i think that you know there's going to be some leftovers and that's and that's okay i think in one sitting uh i am i i am going to give i am going to give us four stars out of five um that being said you know it's it's safe to say we at least were not defeated (laughs)
1: correct (laughs) ladies and gentlemen there will be a jingle and we will be back Aaron Burr will finally start doing things Huzzah! (whistles) moving on from the room where it happens Burr takes all his anger his frustration his projection and he goes and does something about it our man snags himself a senate seat This is a brand new Burr. This is a revitalized Burr. He's going out. He's doing things. He's going to be in the room where it happens. And honestly, the room where it was just happening was two cabinet members and Madison, whatever his role is in the Congress. I can't remember. Right. But like in that room aren't like president. They're just people with positions of power and influence. So Burr already climbing like close to that level, like a senator from New York. There's not a lot of senators. Being a senator from New York, I'm assuming, is, is a prestigious kind of position to be in. You've got some power. You've got some agency. So he's climbing pretty quickly up close to that level that he was just kind of worried about last song. Thoughts on our main man, Burr? Doing something. Anything.
0: This is a come-up. This is a huge come-up. And you're right. It's a
1: huge come-up.
0: Being a senator from New York is a deal. You know, even when Hamilton was a junior delegate to the Constitutional Convention, he was a junior delegate from New York. And this is where the seat of national power was before the Capitol was established in Washington, D.C. So this is a huge deal. And it's punctuated by the fact that Philip Schuyler, war hero, loses his seat to young upstart Aaron Burr. So we know that like this is as far as his trajectory is concerned, he's he's doing well and he's moving up quickly. So, yeah, absolutely. Proud of our boy Burr. Let's go. Let's let's go, Aaron. (laughs) Like you're you're finally doing something right. You're not you're not just sitting on the sidelines anymore.
1: Right at the top of the number, we have confirmation that Philip and Eliza still exist, and that they do not know yet that Hamilton has had the whole Mariah Reynolds affair. Or else, you'd assume she'd be much more upset. They are talking about this senate seat being lost. Eliza does not seem all too bothered. Like, ah, politics. Sometimes it's how it goes. Like, that's kind of the whole point of the system. Mm-hmm. Philip cottons onto the fact pretty quick that old Pa's not going to be happy about this. And Eliza's like, I'm sure he already... If he's going to be grumpy about it, he's already grumpy about it. So you don't have to worry, son. He's already yeah. going to be angry.
0: I um, love this pragmatic version of Eliza here. Just this very down-to-earth, logical, very sensible. Just sometimes that's how it goes. I, I love that she's Hamilton so lo- grounded. It's great. I love it. Makes it
1: Hamilton looks so foolish later. Because this is her father. like She is the link between the two people. So it was Hamilton, Eliza, then Eliza's father. So if anyone should be grumpy that Philip lost the Senate seat, it goes Philip first, then Eliza, and then Hamilton. And so the fact that Eliza doesn't seem to care at all and just understands it's how the system works makes Hamilton later look like a child in terms of how upset he is about this. Because she's not at all. I don't know. I've always interpreted it that way. That that's why I like it, Hamilton. Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. That's why I love it. Yeah, <laughs> it makes. I her also look love great.
1: that, like, meet the newest senator from New York. Hamilton's like Burr, Burr. Like, what
0: the <laughs> fuck?
1: Right. And so I put in my notes. Clearly, this isn't a situation that could happen because clearly, even if campaigning's not a thing, right? People are talking about who they're going to vote for. Who are the options? We learn later in the election of eighteen hundred. That there are op like there like that's when campaigning was around, but people are talking about it. like tell your husbands vote for Burr, all that stuff, and so like Hamilton would have known that Burr was running for the Senate seat, right? But I just like, it's worth the comedy gold to just be like Burr, like what? Mm-hmm. I, like, are you even capable of that? Like, I just I think that reaction is awesome.
0: Yeah, there's a little bit of dramatic license here. You know, we uh, we kind of have to assume that if Burr was nominated for office, Hamilton would have gotten wind of it. I'm with you there. But the result on stage is fantastic. From Lin-Manuel, it's not necessarily on the level of, oh, shit, but it is a great moment like that. Like it is, it is really good. He sounds like a confused dog, and I mean that in the most complimentary way possible. <laughs> yes. That yeah, is not is. I really <laughs> I don't mean that I as a slight. I really do adore it. It's just you you pitch yeah. it up just a little it's, bit and it's whoop.
1: Yeah, It's kind of like it didn't even enter the realm of possibility in Hamilton's brain that that could ever happen. And then Hamilton Mm -hmm. starts to ask questions like, since when were you a Democratic Republican? And Burr stealing straight from the Hamilton playbook. Since being one put me on the up and up again, dude. Like, what do you mean? Like, I am trying to climb here. I would like a Senate seat, and that was my path through it. Also, you're in the other party, and I don't like you. Right? Like, just make like i'm full on with burr here that i I like what he's doing here like i want to be on the up and up right hamilton only ever really wanted to go to war so he could rise above his station and have like the notoriety afterwards and he wanted a command for that reason Mm -hmm. right like he wasn't happy enough with his role in the war even if it was the best use of him if it wasn't gonna end up with him at the end of the war climbing right he wants to be on the up and up burr just wants the same thing here so i gotta be a democratic republican to climb i'm gonna call myself a democratic republican to climb also you're in the other party and i don't like you
0: yeah although you know what uh, the way you're putting it there is is kind of hamilton centric right burr is saying i will do this because i don't like you but when when we go through the conversation and Hamilton assumes it's about him, right? This is a great moment of checking Hamilton's ego later on. You change parties to run against my father-in-law. Burr says, no, no, no. I changed parties to seize an opportunity I saw. It's not all about you, dude. You know? Oh,
1: absolutely, yeah.
0: But I don't, in line with what you're saying, I don't, I don't know if I entirely believe Burr there. I have to imagine that there is a certain degree of animosity towards Hamilton in his decision to switch parties, right? I think this is another one of those moments where it's in the gray, both are true. Yes, Burr seized an opportunity he saw, but I think also Burr really did get some jollies out of running against Hamilton's father-in-law specifically. I have to assume he enjoyed that, you know what I mean?
1: Right. I like Hamilton's like, no one knows who you are or what you do, which fair play, because I don't really, I don't, I guess the audience, Mm -hmm. we don't even really know who he is or what he does. (laughs) And so Burr's retort to that is so good. It's just such, it's just such a good banter. Like, they don't need to know me. They don't like you. And I'm like, oh, yes, like, take it and just stick it in farther. I'm still not forgetting that he cheated on Eliza, best of wives and best of women. Take the knife and keep putting it in.
0: Well, Berg gets a good dig in there, but Hamilton, the show, not the character, Hamilton, the show, will eventually inform us that Alexander is correct here. Because the memory of the show is, uh, is this establishes, this sets the foundation for Jefferson has beliefs, Burr has none. This is where we see the foundation of that. And this opinion, they don't like, you know, they don't have to like me, they they don't like you. This may work in the short term. This has gotten Burr a victory here, but it will ultimately be his defeat later on. And just in terms of dramatic irony and payoff, I love that this is set up here. Because the payoff later is so much sweeter because it's an inversion of this moment, right? It wouldn't be as good if we didn't have this moment here.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I also find it a little bit childish of Hamilton to just be this upset about this. Like, dude, like you are still, the, you have a job to do? Like, you are the treasury secretary. You were there when we established this whole democracy and voting thing. And I understand that you're kind of upset that your dude lost. But also, that is kind of how the system is meant to work. So can you, like, be a... Like, part of it's the personal because he knows Burr. And that's part of it. But also, like, dude, get on with it. Like, like be like Eliza. Like, it happened. We don't have to like Burr. We don't have to be best friends with Burr. Bur, Burr's just playing the game like you are, though. So can we move on? But he can't do it. He has to be, like, really upset about this.
0: Well, there's two things at play there. Right. The first of all, I think this is an example of why she's the best of wives and best of women. And number two, that's the hypocrisy of American politics. Like you want to say that you're all for free votes and whoever's the best person for the job, like they get it and you want democracy and all that. But Hamilton needs the votes. He needs people in Congress that are federalists. He does not like the Democratic Republicans. You know, and and this is another example of it. So, like, his party has lost a member. This is a big problem for him. And it becomes a huge problem if word gets out that someone changed their party affiliation to run against Hamilton's father-in-law. Especially if the person that changed their party affiliation was Burr, Because rumors only grow. And everybody already knows that Burr and Hamilton don't exactly like each other like this is like this is a huge problem. so taking this moment to acknowledge Hamilton's hypocrisy, I think it serves the show very well because it's just another I'll- just another step down the path to Burr and Hamilton coming to their inevitable confrontation at the end.
1: I also put in my notes that Washington must just be fucking fuming somewhere about all this party bullshit that he hates. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. This is the last thing he wanted, right? Yeah.
1: yeah. This is the opposite of what he wanted. And we're still in the first presidential term. Or may, maybe in the second. But, like, this first, like, Hamilton is still the Treasury Secretary. We're not past. Mm-hmm. We're not into John. Adler. We're. It's. It's already becoming a problem. And Washington's not even finished yet. He wasn't able to keep the party down for his whole tenure. That's yeah. how quickly it all went to shit.
0: Yeah. And we, we've we already had Burr, you know, with the introductory narration to Act 2, pissed him off until we had a two-party system. And now we see Burr taking advantage of that, of burr taking advantage of hamilton pissing everyone off and being like you know what that two-party system i'm gonna go join the other party glha <laughs> you yeah, know yeah, like exactly uh, right. hoping gg buddy like good game i <laughs> hope yeah. it goes well let's we're see what happens here. next term yeah
1: <laughs> I, I like this little bit as well where where hamilton's like but i always thought you were a friend and then Burr's like, what the fuck are we adults like I don't see why that has to end. And then that's when Hamilton gets into the father-in-law. bit. But I always found the friend bit just really, really funny. Because of course to Hamilton, this is like a super huge affront. But to Burr, he's just playing the game. Like he saw an opportunity, he seized it. Right? Why is he being, like, why is there, like, like, I get from both characters' point of view. But I just like the idea of, I always considered you a friend to be like, Specifically, beneath the level of of like civility in this like really i don't know public role of being a senator, you know
0: yeah, I agree with you it It seems uh childish in a way, it seems kind of juvenile and on the one hand, I get that, and I get it being intentional because Hamilton was a bit younger than Burr. I get all of that, and I think that every now and again there can be value in portraying hamilton accurately as younger than everyone else around him i get all of that but one one minor criticism i've always had about this show that i've never understood is that line connected to burr my first friend my enemy like i don't i don't actually ever see the show portraying them as friends colleagues yes Co-workers, yes, true. But I feel like the show does a lot to tell us that Hamilton had a group of friends and that Burr was not in that group. So I don't understand any of this conversation about friendliness. <laughs> maybe I'm not watching the show well enough. I don't know. Maybe that maybe for the maybe if I watch the show again, I will see the friendship. But I have never seen a moment in the show where they were actually friends. I don't get these lines. I don't get that line, and I don't get it later where it's Burr my first friend my enemy i don't i I don't know it's it's where I really push back on the show for some reason i I try to understand it i just can't <laughs> i don't like I really bump on this line i don't I don't get it. Uh,
1: unfortunately, I don't have any uh, Hamilton counseling headcanon I can
0: give you. Oh, bum! Oh, man!
1: I don't really get it either. Oh no! Like I, uh, um, you're
0: but, you're gonna send me to bed without my counseling? Oh, Bradley!
1: <laughs> I am. I'm, I'm clearly the worst person out of this two-person pairing. I guess the so, pairing but is that, just two people.
0: But at least you know. At least I'm not alone, right? You know, that that helps. But I just. It is it's kind of uh it's kind of petulant in this moment. It's kind of whiny. Hamilton is
1: that's like
0: complaining and, and kind of like childish. And on the one hand, you can see him losing people and he's really stressed out. You've never seen a bastard orphan more in need of a break. Let me tell you. He really, he hasn't slept in a week. Let me tell you. Oh, he is going through a time. But it's just, I really get tired of people that have all of these things going well for them. Good job. You know, great partner in Eliza. Philip just learned how to play the piano. He's writing raps, doing great. Hamilton's situation is not that bad here, okay? And yet he's complaining right. to Burr about Burr taking his opportunity he's complaining to burr about burr like making his life work like shut up hamilton like just go can we Absolutely like, right. like yeah Ugh. we we burr, really get pretty hard on hamilton every now and again <laughs> yeah we i get, think that's you, the
1: you, point though i think yeah um Burr ends this song by going, I swear your pride will be the death of us all. Beware it goeth before the fall. And every time he sends that or says that, I go, great writing. I also go, yeah. Entire, entirely plausible. Like, this dude is a force, and much like a hurricane, sometimes when the force <laughs> hits the right area, there's a lot of destruction that happens. And entirely plausible that his pride will be the death of you all.
0: Mm-hmm. And also, if you had to abbreviate this musical and explain it to someone that had never seen it in a couple sentences, here you go.
1: <laughs> Alton Sprider was the death of them all. Yeah, it,
0: absolutely. It go
1: with before it went before the fall.
0: It did right there. Like yeah, Burr is not wrong. That's
1: funny,
0: and like he's he's not all like right. in this instance he is not incorrect
1: not at all i just it's such a good line reading it's so good if you're ready we get the best transition into cabinet battle this is like pretty much one song cabinet battle number two just starts because as he says beware it goeth before the fall that everyone behind him has been setting up the rap battle so when they turn around they're just there and washington Mm -hmm. just starts going which is incredible it's such a cool transition any I'm not st- like any time that happens it's it must be so complicated to like nail that and time that perfectly every time without a single thing looking out of place
0: yeah, it can be. It depends on how many moving parts you have right, and that being said, one of the driving principles behind this show is that you always have a lot of moving parts right <laughs> like you've got. You've got a fairly decent sized ensemble. You have the floor that literally moves in two parts. And then you've got a bunch of set pieces. But yeah, this transition and the way the music lines up with the movement, man, is so good. Because once you start into cabinet battle number two, you, you get this ramp up into it. The intro is very short and then the beat drops and you are in it. And it is so brilliant. And instantly, you have to face a bunch of things. First of all, we're in a cabinet battle again. So we we know now we've got the setup for this confrontation between Hamilton and Jefferson. Also, we now have Burr in the room where it happens. Let's... Congrats, Aaron. Right. Like, you're there. Like, you you did it. You you said you wanted to do a thing. You did a thing. Mazel tov. But also... I don't know why I like this so much. George Washington has glasses, and I just adore it. I don't know why I love it so much, but he does, and I just, you know, I'm putting it there. We have a little bit of passage of time. We have some aging there, and, and we have, but we still have him in that Mackay Pfeiffer role of, like, you could have been anywhere you want tonight, but, like, let's go. But we have a difference here. This is not subject to congressional approval. So this, and I love that setup. I love the setup of the only person you have to convince here is me. Because that really does make it. Now it is really just Jefferson and Hamilton. Whomever makes the best argument wins Washington. I love that setup here. Because it kind of strips away... the confusion of the previous cabinet battle because we discussed that like why why are we doing this if it's up to congress anyway like what's the point of this cabinet battle are there is there really any stakes to this if congress has to decide what's what's the fucking point here we kind of drill down to okay this one the second one this is clash of the titans this is this is tommy v hammy you know sunday night Pay-per-view, let's go. You know? And I think that that really raises the stakes. In my yeah, humble opinion. It means opinion.
1: the losers. Yeah, it means the losers can't just win at the end, like the last one. Right? Like, yeah <laughs> Also, also, it implies like some sort of handicap too. Because you're meant to think of this as a 50 50, but in reality, we know how much Washington likes Hamilton. So in reality, it's probably like a 75 25. Like Jefferson has the bigger lift. To convince Washington over Mm -hmm. Hamilton. And that's always been my impression of it. It's not really even a 50-50. And so it's still in many ways. Someone could lose. Like Hamilton could lose this. And maybe still win. Based on his already good standing. With Washington. Jefferson starts. or Or Washington starts. And lays out the issue. The issue is not banking anymore. France is on the verge of war with England. Do we help or do we not help? That is kind of the main Conflict here. Jefferson goes and makes a hundred and twenty-seven really good points. <laughs> really? <laughs> he goes, he makes a very com- and he has to make a very compelling case because it is kind of weird at the end when Washington sides with Hamilton. Because in my head, I'm always like, I think Jefferson was a more compelling presenter of information here. Let's talk about what he goes over when they were on death's door. When they were needy, they made a promise with France, right? They signed the treaty. So that's one thing that happened. Hamilton will bring this up later, but whatever. They signed this treaty. They didn't want land. They just wanted help if this ever happened. They literally put, like, the idea is that, like, this was the one thing they wanted us to help with in return for, like, winning us the war. Like, this is, like, there was a clause in the contract, George. There was a clause in the contract. They didn't want anything else but this one specific thing. (laughs) <laughs> Which is a very compelling argument, considering how much the French help got them the war. They probably would not have won without it, right? So it seems weird to back out on this promise now, right? So that's that's the first set of good points. The next set of good points is about Alexander Hamilton. Like, yo, motherfucker, I am the Secretary of State. This is my domain. And this dude just got, he's in charge of the money stuff, and he already got his money plan. Like, what is he even doing here? Why is this a Hamilton-ish? Like, I, oh, he's, I don't need to go through every line, but he's making point after point after point that at least convinces me mm-hmm. that he should probably win this cabinet
0: battle. hmm He doesn't even bring up if he needed more ammo. I don't think he does, because I happen to align with you on this entire debate. He doesn't even bring up that I was over there... Do you remember when I was kicking ass as the ambassador to France, as I was introduced at the beginning of Act Two of this musical that we're in together? Uh, I I know these people. I like not only am I the Secretary of State, but I know these people particularly well. So I think that when it comes to talking about France, maybe maybe Hamilton, yeah, he stole some cannon, cool. But but we're talking about international affairs here. I happen to agree with you. <laughs> now, that being said. Yeah, also,
1: what I like. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Keep going.
0: No, no, no. Go ahead, because I was about to pivot into what I think is your interesting discussion of Hamilton's response. So, if we want to deal with oh, Jefferson right. some more, just let's do to that. Call out that. Let's do that first.
1: I want to call out the writing here, because it, to me, it's perfect continuity writing. Continuity is so, 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 so important. This is happening on a timeline. So the characters have to learn and grow as they're learning and growing, right? They're not the same age. So the musical, you have to assume Jefferson has learned from cabinet battle number one where Hamilton spent most of the time just dunking on him instead of actually making good points, right? And Jefferson takes some time here for some Hamilton dunks, which I think are very funny. But I think the writing there like illustrates to me that Jefferson has learned from cabinet battle number one. He's a per- like, he, he went right, rightly or wrongly. He's someone I at least can imagine this headcanon where he's a person that, like, is normal and processes information and changes his approach when things didn't go well, or you know what I mean? And I like that he takes the time here, like, <laughs> smells like new money, dresses like fake royalty. Like, he takes the time here to get some Hamildunks, and that aren't important, but I've always interpreted it as like a pickup from Cabinet Battle number one in strategy. That I've always found to be clever continuity writing.
0: No, I think they're crucially important because smells like new money specifically sets up uh, the speculation later on. Right? Saying this here is Jefferson being like, yeah. where are you getting that new money from? You know, and once again, this goes back to you're the nouveau riche, I'm old money you're an immigrant. I've been here. This is another example of them othering Alexander Hamilton. This is another example of Jefferson saying, you are not one of us, right? You are, you just got here. You can't sit with us. The democratic Republicans wear pink on Wednesdays. You can't sit with us, you know, like that's another example of that. And, I think that, yeah, it can absolutely build on Cabinet Battle 1. I think you're right there. But adding to that, I think it is also foreshadowing what is to come. It's setting up how Jefferson is going to try to attack Hamilton later on.
1: Right. I also like that everything he does betrays the ideals of our nation. Like, not true but like well, we're dunking on him. might as well throw that in there right might as well just completely besmirch his entire character and everything he believes yeah. in quickly on the way out of this part of the rap
0: right let's let's swing for the fences why not like i've while i've got the bat like i'm gonna try yeah
1: right all right we're back to hamilton
0: yeah your, and i agree with you with his response is hamilton. Uh, I agree with you here. His response is so good. I also agree with you. Like, you're mentioning the the pantomime as the dead head out of the basket. It's hilarious. But, oh, so you know, funny. it's just like, what do you, you know, but it's not as intellectual as what Jefferson has to say. Like, he's kind of, Jefferson is swinging for the fences. Hamilton is swinging for the memes. Hamilton is not wrong. You can't ask a dead person how they feel. But I think what I'm hearing from you, what I think you're getting at, and what I respond to is that Jefferson is reminding the president, Washington, and the rest of the people in the room, Jefferson is reminding them that they made a promise to a sovereign nation state. And The king may be dead, as Hamilton lets us know. But they made a promise to a country. And we are so concerned with our being a country at this point, it's disingenuous if we don't honor that promise. Because if we do, what the fuck do we actually care about being a country? I agree with you that I think Jefferson is right about all of that. And even though Hamilton's response is compelling and I think that it's good and it's got great performance value. Philosophically, I'm with Jefferson here completely.
1: I am too. He definitely wins this rap battle. And so with Hamilton's response, there are a few things first all. I agree with all the points about like, you kind of made a promise to the people as well that you would have fucking help them out. So like just because the king specifically is dead does not make the does not like it's not like a takesy backsy clause in the contract, right? Like I think I think Jefferson's got it mostly correct there. Hamilton's main response is more logistical. It's not even hey we shouldn't help them. It's kind of like look we're too fragile like we, we can't. That's I guess what Washington says, but Hamilton's like like we just can't go like it's too messy we don't have the resources we got other things to focus on which is fair i think it is a little disingenuous and the fact that washington interrupts him to just go like enough enough hamilton's right leads me to believe washington kind of already had this decided and the cabinet battle is just like to see if jefferson can change his mind but not so two people like not like he was a neutral party and two people were trying to convince him, I get the sense he already kind of wanted to do what Hamilton's advocating for and was really hoping that Hamilton would be convincing enough. Not that Jefferson would, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, Jefferson had the bigger mountain to climb is what I'm trying to say.
0: For sure. Does that influence your take on David's delivery here? What you say about, he can't believe Washington is taking Hamilton's... Like, do you think that... Oh. Like is that? Does that go yeah. into that?
1: Yeah, yeah. Can, it's all together for me.
0: I can see that. Yeah, it, it, like totally, kind of uh, uh, folds in, uh, together. Like kind of wraps into one, like big narrative storytelling burrito, for lack of a better word. Uh, but I mean, you can <laughs> in in David's performance, like you can see. You can see David's Jefferson understanding that he has the better logistical argument. Like he objectively understands. Of course. He, like I, I know I am more correct than than Hamilton. And I think that this, in that moment, is probably where we start. Even though we have more of the song to go through. This is where the philo- the the philosophy or the the emotional content of Washington on your side. This is where it starts. This is where Jefferson first has the internal thought, it must be pretty damn sweet to have Washington on your side because it is a handicap match. I love that you phrased it that way earlier cuz I think you're right. You know, uh the bar is set so much lower that for Hamilton than it is for Jefferson, right? Jefferson right, Hamilton starts just has to not lose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Right. Yeah, okay. Hamilton just needs to not lose. Um, outside of the narrative content, outside of what's going on, like in actual dialogue and what's going on, um, I just I kind of. God, I just keep drooling over your notes for this song because I, because I didn't have to make many because a lot of what you wrote down is what well, I was going to bring up. There's a lot of metatextual and subtextual things going on in this number that really strengthen it and make this short song so powerful. Some things uh, in no particular order, uh, the seating arrangement. I really think it's important we don't skip over that because you, you know, you go out of your way to not be the expert. You go out of your way to be the fan. You go out of your way all All the time to be like, I don't, you know, I don't know what I'm talking about. I just like the show. You go out of your way to say that all the time, but you put in our notes document before I could, how Madison and Burr are behind and, and adjacent to Jefferson as a visual foreshadowing of their alliance coming forward later and if you're watching the disney plus version i think that's crucial to pay attention to because it's such good staging like where they sit really crucially matters uh i also love that you know the democratic republicans are stage right and the federalists are staged left which is kind of like that's you know you've got some on the right side some on the left side uh as as a little uh wink wink nudge nudge um but yeah it is cool to see bird madison behind jefferson there The, the setup is great um i'm so glad that you called that out uh what i really want to dig into because i agree with you uh bringing up Lafayette unless there's is there anything else in the text here before Lafayette you want to bring up because I want to talk about Lafayette no some
1: other than other than I wanted to call it the, the position is a statement of neutrality not like they're going to fight on the other side. And I just like, it's a, I think it's a fun distinction that they're just going to be neutral. They're not going to help either side. They're just going to let that happen, which is at least a different position. Like, Hey, we're going to help the British instead. (laughs) Like that would be worse. (laughs) Right. And so,
0: well, that would definitely be worse, but I think, I think we can agree that even neutrality is a, is intended to, that's intended to be a, a betrayal of the promises made to France and Lafayette specifically, right? Because they promised they would help. Neutrality is not helping. Neutrality is staying out of it, you know? Um, I don't think that there's a world in which America would have helped the British.
1: (laughs) The British, (laughs) right, of course. right? Yeah,
0: like that wasn't going to happen. But yeah, I mean, we, like, one of the first international episodes we get involved with is breaking the first promise we ever made it's not it's not the best thing that america could have done
1: <laughs> but also all great. the same people like it's not like a generation has gone by it's like the same no. people who made the promise are still the ones betraying it mm-hmm. which is where, anyways let's talk about lafayette you're going lafayette
0: well, yeah, but first of all, like, can you imagine them sitting back and being like, Look, we didn't think you would get into a war this soon, okay? Like, we're not ready. Like, hang on. Um, but Lafayette, yeah, you calling up, you know, uh, they bring up Lafayette and David Diggs is on stage. Like, we're talking about Lafayette with Jefferson, played by David Diggs, who played Lafayette. Right. It's one of these metatextual moments that you only get in a show like this with double casting that is as intelligently done as Hamilton does it. You've got Lawrence, uh, double casting as Philip. You've got, uh, Mulligan double casting as Madison. And then you've got Lafayette and Jefferson. And to put these words in Jefferson's mouth, like, it's it's so brilliant and what's interesting to me is that once again i have to i have to take jefferson's side here because jefferson couldn't he tried to win with public policy public policy did not win so he tries to use personal issues right he tries to come at hamilton personally so you don't care about international affairs, you don't understand the logic of this fine. Let me try to talk to you on a personal level. Let me bring up Lafayette. Hamilton says he'll be fine. And don't forget he was my friend before uh, before he was your friend, he was mine. And that I think is supposed to be a minor victory for Hamilton, I guess. But for me, the audience member, it makes it so much worse that he doesn't give a shit about France. Like, okay. So wasn't he one of your really good friends? You're not advocate. Like, what are you, you're, you're arguing against yourself here, dude. What are you, what are you doing?
1: This whole thing. So whether Washington picks one side or the other is one thing. This next bit with Jefferson and Hamilton is fucking unreal. Our tough looks for Hamilton continue. In (laughs) back-to-back episodes, because what the fuck is he doing here? Like, not only did he like, it, it just starts with like, did you forget Lafayette? And he's like, what are you even talking about? And then Jefferson goes, you accumulate debt, you accumulate power, yet in their hour of need, you forget. Like, hey, you are becoming more powerful every day. You are doing all these things to to make yourself more rich, have more influence, like all of that. And yet the one promise you made and in the show timeline to your best friend like in the musical, they're much closer than they would have been in real life. So like mm-hmm. your actual like best first group of friends. Right. You're actively advocating against helping them in any capacity for what reason again? Right. And then Hamilton comes up with like, well, he was my friend first. As if that fucking makes a difference. Like, what? What? Like, this is an international crisis you're being asked to help deal with. Like, what are we worried about the dates on the friendship bracelets? Like, come on, dude. Like, oh, it's so frustrating.
0: And he says that as if that makes it better for his case. That makes it worse. That's it so that makes it so much <laughs> worse. <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's so bad. Everything. Lafayette's a smart man. He'll be fine. He's clearly not that smart because he thought you'd keep your promise, probably. Right? Like, what? I hate all of this. If we, Oh, also, okay, I want to call this line out. Because this actually, like, I hate this so much in real life. And I hate it, and I hate it, and I hate it, and I hate it in Hamilton as well. Even though it works for the show. I love it in the musical, but I hate the concept of it. Hamilton says, if we fight in every revolution in the world, where do we draw the line?
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: Anytime (laughs) someone says, where do we draw the line? It's always after someone's proposed an idea to help people. It's like, mm-hmm. hey, these people need help. Should we help them? And then someone, as some asshole, will say, well, if we help those people, where do we draw the line? Because we can't help everyone. It's like somewhere. We draw the line somewhere. When we created jails and someone said, "Whoa, what's going to stop everyone from just putting all the other people in jail all the time? We drew a line and some crimes are fines. We like the line always gets drawn somewhere, right? Like everything ever, the line gets drawn somewhere. So I hate that so much. Where are we gonna draw the line? I don't know. Sit down and figure that out. Like that's your job. These are usually politicians as well. Like where, where are we gonna draw the line? How is this gonna work? If we, it's like, hey, that is your job, mate. Like your job is to figure out <laughs> where the line gets drawn. So anytime someone says, where do we draw the line? I just want to punch them in the face because it's such a disingenuous argument that's always used as a good reason to not help people that need help. And it's the same thing that's here and I cannot stand it. And I hate it so much.
0: I hate it too. And I think that your POV there is bolstered by the fact that Hamilton is vaguely saying, if we fight in every revolution in the world, and that is a bad faith argument because Jefferson is specifically talking about, no, we're, we're talking about France alone, just France. That's it. Like this like one,
1: the this line one, is this here. one.
0: Yeah, that's it. I am. I am not saying like Hamilton is like Tucker Carlson saying, what do you want us to be a team? America world? That's Police? exactly right. And, and, and Jefferson is saying, no i'm talking about france that we made we made a promise to this one this one promise we made the one country i mean yeah i don't yeah it's it's infuriating i i I don't know if anybody listening was expecting uh comparing hamilton to tucker carlson but i think it's apt i think it's actually a good like it's a bad faith argument it's Hamilton is not it's always that ha- way though negotiating in good faith he's not
1: It's always a bad faith argument it's always disingenuous There are situations very small amounts of situations where it would make sense that that's an argument right but it's like like just pick a thing driving I'm going to pick driving when cars came around and everyone realized that driving was cool and we should build roads and we do everything right and someone probably asked well we can't, like, we can't have cars. We can't possibly have vehicles. Where are we gonna draw the line on who gets to drive them? This could be incredibly dangerous. And then we just drew a line, like it's 16. Here it's 16, alcohol it's 19. Like you just draw a line somewhere. There's a line, like there's never not a line. Anytime someone says, where are we gonna draw the line? It gets drawn somewhere, right? In Canada, I can drink alcohol. Not everyone can, somebody drew a line. There's always a line. I hate this so much. I could rant about this forever, so I'm going to stop. But it's the most dumb, disingenuous, bad faith, bullshit argument ever used. Always when it comes to not helping people because you don't want to keep helping more people. It's so, I hate it. I hate it. And I hate it when Hamilton does it. I hate it when Tucker Carlson does it. I hate most things Tucker Carlson does, to be honest. But this is a <laughs> <laughs> this is separate podcast. Well, it's a separate well, podcast. Honest.
0: On on that specifically, <laughs> I agree with you completely. <laughs> 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 All right. Is there anything I mean, else I'm riled up? Oh, me. Is there anything else where
1: I'm riled up for this song?
0: I mean, honestly, we spent more time on that one than I thought we would because, you know, on the surface, it's kind of a transitional number. A little bit, like, after you get through the after you get through the first part of it, it kind of starts to set up Washington on your side. But there really is, the more you dig into it, like there is a lot of character work that is done in this song that is kind of buried underneath. What is a policy discussion that policies policy discussion is crucially informative about who these people are now and what they will become throughout the rest of Act 2. But, you know, that's kind of my, my closing general impression. I don't know if there's anything that I need to dig into deeper specifically.
1: All right. We will be back. There will be a jingle. And Washington shall be on our side. Welcome back for Washington on your side. The last number we will be covering in this super ambitious podcast that will hopefully be under three hours by the time you are listening to it. At the top of Washington on your side, I guess the whole song kind of functions as kind of just on the surface level. Like, yeah, it must be nice to have the most important dude in the country on your side. Like, that's a good person to have on your side. It also functions, though, Madison Jefferson Burr like becoming bros like they're becoming friends kind of like the reverse party we had earlier when everyone was drinking around a table they kind of they kind of um coalesce around just shitting on hamilton which at this point fair enough <laughs> right that's kind of the thing that bonds them uh dunking on hamilton is the the gorilla glue for this group um uh, but at the very beginning <laughs> burr coming up behind jefferson and just jefferson's like what the where who is this guy? Where did he come from? I think is so perfect to kind of illustrate that Burr. It was still he's a senator now, but he's still not quite at the level that Jefferson thing. Like he's not quite a peer yet to Jefferson.
0: And that is apparent. Like we start with conflict, and that conflict only continues throughout the rest of this number. You know, um, I don't like we're talking about setting up things for the rest of act two. We're talking about how we, uh, how we start getting into like, this is how Burr is going to be in his mode for act two, how Hamilton is going to be in his Jeff. Like, this is like, you know, and I think they, I guess maybe they express what I'm trying to say better than I do. They load the gun and cock it. This is kind of the pivot point. This is, this is the conflict lock for act two. You know
1: yeah i like i like the strategy of like okay we fucked up we gave this guy his financial plan (laughs) which is not ideal so we don't really have we don't have anything to really get him on so we're just gonna go (laughs) dig for dirt luckily luckily for them there is dirt but i like that they're kind of resigned like hamilton's played the game so well and if he just hadn't done the whole mariah reynolds thing he'd be cruising right now because these guys are gonna dunk on him this whole song And their plan is like, well, we're going to follow the money and we're going to hope that the Emperor has no clothes. Like there's no actual thing for them to nail Hamilton on. They're just going to go fishing and hope they catch something, which I think is a good kind of it puts Hamilton like he played the game correctly, kind of other than the Mariah Reynolds thing. But he up until that point had played the game well and he had won that compromise earlier for sure.
0: For sure, but it also sets him up as like he was hoisted by his own petard. Like, it definitely is a tragedy in the Grecian sense. He was his own downfall. Had he avoided that, you know, he he they wouldn't have any dirt to dig up on him. And you get that brief moment of irony where they find something wrong with him that they think they think that it's financial speculation but really it's something different but if he had never screwed around with mariah reynolds he would have won completely they they would have been sol right
1: absolutely they also like kind of justify themselves a little bit like i'm all for dunking on hamilton twice back to back i've got an impassioned dunk on hamilton rants but they are like justifying this stuff to themselves in a way that i think is a little disingenuous here like thanks to hamilton our cabinets fractured into factions it's like first off there's four of you so whatever (laughs) like shut up but (laughs) like this isn't all hamilton's fault my dude like y'all you all went in and negotiated this financial plan stuff like he like there's just no blame or culpability on themselves It's just Mm -hmm. every problem is Hamilton's down to like, you know what? This guy sucks so much. I hate the way he walks. I hate the way he dresses. I hate the way, you know, when someone annoys you that much and you're having that day and just like, like the thought of them just makes you want to like jump into a lake and just like, it is like, that's where they're at with Hamilton. They don't want to see him. They don't want to smell him. They don't want to talk to him. They don't want to be near him. They don't want to hear his name. They don't want to like, that's the level they're at. And I can appreciate that because it's a very human thing, but it is a little bit unfair
0: well jefferson i give you that with jefferson he does level the personal disputes against hamilton you know primps and preens yada 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 all that madison does give some substantial philosophical disagreements that he has with hamilton and he's He's concerned about Hamilton's management of the government. He's concerned about Hamilton's opinions. And so we we kind of get both sides here. We get Jefferson's animosity, and we get Madison's intellect just disagreeing with Hamilton that has gotten scooped up into the Jeffersonian contingent, right? But at the same time, Jefferson is not, once again... Now we get Jefferson arguing in bad faith because Jefferson is not exactly the man of the people that he claims to be either. You know, uh, we know who's really doing the planting. And so Madison, even with his substantive arguments, we can see it being a personal disagreement as well, which for me, adding on to that, really hurts because... Madison and Hamilton used to be allies. It's unfortunate that Hamilton and Madison disagreeing about how government would be developed comes at the act break for this show because we never actually get in context of the show why they had their falling out. You know, we just assume that all of a sudden Madison has turned tails on Hamilton.
1: I also like throughout this song that Burr is just kind of there. Like to just to show the status, like Jefferson and Madison are doing a lot of the talking, and Burr's just the set dressing. He's there, he's part of the crew, but he's kind of like Batman's Robin's Robin. It's like (laughs) it's like he he's allowed to be there, but he's not really there. I I just enjoy that because it helps Burr. So like when he still gets frustrated later, (laughs) it still makes sense because he's like he's got he's a senator now, but he's still not. He's in the room where it happens, but he's not in the room where it happens to the same Mm -hmm. level as these other guys.
0: Batman's Robin's Robin. He's like he's he's Oracle's wheelchair is what he is at this point. I what you said about, you know, the cabinet and there's four of you. I will never not think of that when there's the line here. He's doubled the government. I had no problem with the previous government size. Like, okay, so the government is now eight people. Cool. Got it. You know. (laughs) Um.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so I want to talk about that a little bit, because Madison's line there. So he's doubled the size of the government, wasn't the trouble with much of the previous government size. You can tell I've practiced my Hamilton karaoke recently. True. So, this is a bonkers because well, the the problem with the other government, you know, the fucking British that they just went and killed a bunch of to get rid of them. <laughs> right. To say that wasn't much of the trouble with that government. The size of it is not. If you had to rank grievances with the British governmental system on a chart as, like, reasons why we're going to war, size doesn't even make the chart.
0: Right? Oh, no, no, no. So, I... Th- I think what he's talking about here is the provisional government that was outlined in the Articles of Confederation.
1: Oh, that's not clear at all. I've always thought it's been like the previous government is the British government.
0: No, that's what I think he's talking about here, because there was an American government that existed that was pre like it, it was a confederation of states right, before the Constitution was ratified. And so that, like, that did exist as a government, but after the Constitution was ratified by the states and we became the the representational republic that we are now, right, that government exploded, partly because of Hamilton and people like him that really thought a strong executive central ag- like executive branch was necessary. Right. I think that's what they're talking about here. If that helps you at all. Ah, I don't see. think these. Oh yeah. That think... makes
1: much more sense. But then the musical does not make that clear. The la, in the musical, the last government was the British. There was the yeah. British. And now these guys.
0: No, so I feel I had no you. idea. I see, yeah. But if, I the, see where if you're, you're from, watching yeah.
1: the musical, you have the British government, the war, and then this government, it's the same people. Mm-hmm. right and so the last one to me was just always the british one of which size was probably not in the top 10 concerns you had right with them
0: no i right, get it makes much there. more sense now yeah i think that you know uh there's an argument to be made that like the size of the english government could have contributed to american colonists grievances but like that wasn't what they were really complaining about they were complaining about you know Getting shot, so yeah, I'm with you there. (laughs) Yeah, if you read it that way, right, 100. So that's, but yeah, that's my reading of it. And um, you know, also keep in mind at this point the uh the treasury is the bulk of the government because that's how they're making money and that's how they're able to do anything is by spending and generating money. And it's one of the reasons Knox and Jefferson were so envious of Hamilton because the Treasury Department was multiple times the size of both the War and State Department put together. And he was the youngest of the three. And remember, Henry Knox wanted to hire Hamilton, and now Hamilton has a more important job than him. And so, like, there's a lot of jealousy running around. But even if you don't know that, even if you're just dealing with the text, like, yeah, it is kind of vague here. I'm, I, I'm with you there 100%. Right.
1: And so these guys then go on to talk about how they're going to stand up for the South, right? They're going to take out Hamilton. If you're trying, if there's a fire you're trying to douse, you can't put it out from inside the house. So there, oh, what
0: I like about... K- I'm so sorry. Can I, can I jump in real quick? Yeah. Uh, I love that Madison wants to stand up for the South, and I love that Jefferson is like somebody has to stand up to his mouth. Like, Madison is principled here, and Jefferson just wants Hamilton to shut the fuck up. I love that duality there. I love the right, comparison exactly between right. standing up for the States, and Jefferson's like, get this guy out of here. All right. Anyway, I just didn't want to forget that. Please please continue so sorry
1: oh good i just like how they're doing this in real time like we are in this conversation as they're figuring it out like jefferson like a light bulb goes off and he's like oh if this is a fire we're trying to put out i need to be outside the house Mm -hmm. therefore i need to resign like i like the a leads to b leads to c nature of this song where these guys aren't just like telling us exposition of what they're going to do we are there working it through with them which ends at the same point but makes it so much more entertaining to watch
0: yeah it is it is active and it's it's proactive i think is a better way to put it and this is one of the first things that you learn if you take your uh if you go to uni and you take your beginning acting 101 there is a theory in in performance uh, is discovering things on the line, acting on the line rather than between them. And it's while you're delivering a line, you're supposed to activate that line by having the realization, having some kind of mental uh, epiphany or, or or an emotional discovery on the line. You're supposed to discover things while you're talking rather than when you're quiet and just sitting back, right? And this song is a really good example of that because it's active, it's in the moment. And I think that's what you're reacting to there. And it's, it's great to see this, the, the, the financial pinnacle of Broadway success of the contemporary era is successful in this moment because of things that is like day one of a freshman acting class, you know? And it really is borne out, the success of it in this moment. Yeah, it's it, it's unique, right? Or, right. well, it's not unique in the show. We have other moments of live realization, but it does stand out as being different from other parts of the show that we discuss in being past tense, right? We discuss Burr telling us this story, having already learned how it ends. Eliza knowing how it ends. Hamilton, sometimes he might know how it ends. Burr, most of all. But in this moment, it is active. It's immediate present, and we are there with them in present tense. One hundred percent agree with you, absolutely. And then they make their decision. You know, if Washington isn't going yeah, to listen to discipline, discipline, this is the difference. This kid is out.
1: Yeah, they go crazy now. All of the mm-hmm. things that apply to the rest of Hamilton are true here. Every like the sound design, the choreography, the lighting, all of it coming together. Um, The immigrant stuff, still a little uncomfortable I think it's a little unfair, but we've already gone over All the reasons why they do it, anyways Sure, Um, yeah. They are going through, now Burr is kind of more in the team Kind of, right Like this immigrant isn't somebody we chose He's keeping us all on our toes Right, let's show the Federalists who they're up against The Southern motherfucking Democratic Republicans And then they have like their little posse come behind them Full of the ensemble cast Which is awesome Right, they have their whole Democratic Republicans, and they're gonna go take them on. Mm -hmm. I just like the whole hype nature of this. Like they're going, they're gonna take them on, and they're gonna find like check stubs. Like it's, it gets really hyped up before they, before it comes down a little bit. But the the hype is real in this moment.
0: It really is. It's, it's my single favorite line in the show. By the way, the delivery, the momentum of it, the volume, all of it. That line is so good. But the way the ensemble grows there as a parallel to the treasury growing, I think is clever. I think it's a great moment, but at the same time, don't you think that they got lucky? Like, their great plan here to follow the money is just about as good as Hamilton's plan to get one spy and write some letters. If they had come up empty, what would they have done? Yeah,
1: Hamilton
0: played the game. Yeah. They got lucky.
1: Yeah, Hamilton played the game, for sure.
0: The fact that they didn't give Mariah Reynolds like a Congressional Medal of Honor. You know? I don't like... (laughs) (laughs) I wonder how much of their ire here how much of their anger is and i think this is this is maybe one of the points of the song i don't know but this is what i take from it i'm inspired to wonder how much of their anger is loyalty to the new nation and trying to take care of citizens and how much of it is envy for hamilton because this number really does straddle the line between government Principle and personal hatred. I think that's maybe why Burr has this kind of orbital presence here. Maybe he's on the sidelines here because he's supposed to be the avatar for personal animus against Hamilton, and maybe we're supposed to intuit that Madison is the the avatar of pure governmental interest, and Jefferson is straddling the line between those two. And so you get this union of the three that's like, for all of these different reasons, we're coming after Hamilton. Some of it's governmental, some of it's personal. Maybe that's why we have these three. Like, this is the triumvirate that eventually tries to take him down. Because they represent different ways that you can oppose Hamilton? I don't know. It's just something that's interesting. I think a lot of it yeah
1: i think a lot of it for me is just still true of modern day politicians and like just people who live life in the gray like it's probably all true like mm-hmm. part of it'll be that they want their government policies enacted and that they care about the government part of it will be that they don't like to differing degrees obviously madison comes across as someone who's more concerned with the policy stuff than hating hamilton or being jealous or whatever right. And jefferson swings that around but it's just like modern politicians like some politicians do it because they care some politicians do it because they want the power or the prestige some politicians do it for other reasons right sometimes it's a mix of both right like when politicians go to vote for things sometimes they do it as a compromise sometimes they do it because their party's doing it and they don't want the bad publicity even if it's not what they believe so politicians in general are just like that to me like there's Mm -hmm. just always multiple reasons For doing things, because all politicians will tell you that they'll just vote what they think is best, but they never do that way. They never do it that way. They always do it a different way, so there's always different things pulling at them. And I just think these guys are like that as well. Hatred of Hamilton's a big part of it. Jealousy's probably a part of it. Actually hating it, like actually not liking his policies and thinking they're bad for the people, also probably a part of it. Also, they probably have a pretty flawed view of what is good for the people considering irl they're just three rich powerful white guys right like (laughs) they're even if they think it's good for the people it might not even actually be good for the people because their view of the people is skewed so i think it's all of it together
0: well see that part is very intriguing to me like when you when you think about like what their opinion of good for people was and wasn't That kind of suggests that the only thing that these people have to unite them is hatred of Alexander Hamilton. Because Burr was an abolitionist. Madison, I mean, just talking about treatment of people. uh, Burr was an abolitionist, but was mostly mostly kind of a federalist. He also kind of mostly preferred a strong executive. Madison was a Democratic-Republican and was halfway like, on the fence between slavery was good and, and bad, but eventually uh, was more on the side of no slavery. Jefferson wanted local control and state, states' rights and didn't like a strong executive. But also part of the reason he wanted that was because he wanted to keep his slaves. But when you start thinking about like, what would be best for people... The the contemporary landscape of America, our so, social condition, we would have benefited from Jefferson having more influence much more than we would have benefited from Hamilton getting his way. Because the the modern day supremely strong executive branch that we have as Hamilton's legacy honestly makes him like one of the worst monsters of contemporary history. I mean, because the the overreaching arm of the American executive branch and everything that it can do traces its traces its genesis back to Hamilton, right? And so, like who who would be best for the common man who like has other people's interests at heart? Like it's hard to say, but I kind of have to give it to jefferson burr and madison here honestly like even if their interest here go the reasons they're going after hamilton aren't best like they're not they may not be arguing in in the best faith then their reasons could be skewed but like i think they're actually by and large right (laughs) although it's interesting that they're so angry with hamilton after they just got their way with the capitol
1: but like that's part of it too, is because these are the people that negotiated his financial plan. So to turn around and hate him so much for that plan that you gave him for the capital is just stupid. Yeah. Like at that point, this is why this is why having something like duels is great, minus the murder <laughs> part. Because you need like this needs to be settled. You made you don't like his financial plan, but you went into a negotiation. You negotiated, you got something for that plan. You made a terrible deal, but you got something for that plan. No one was forcing you to do that negotiation or anything, right? Now that's settled. You can no longer be upset about this financial plan or hold it against anybody because you negotiated for it. Like it's so dumb. I think like at that yeah. point, it needs to be settled and can no longer be used to dislike Hamilton because they you have already the goal. had that opportunity.
0: Yeah, they have the gall to say every day the treasury grows. You gave him the banks. You, like, you want right. a bunch of white marble buildings. You give him financial control and then you complain about it. Yeah, I'm with you there. But also yeah, exactly there's right. the jealousy of having Washington on Hamilton's side. And I think that's why the number closes with it. I think that's why it's their closing argument. Yeah, it must be nice. It must be nice to have Washington on your side because they envy Hamilton for that. No matter what they get, whether they get the Capitol on the Potomac, no matter like how many cabinet or congressional seats they get, I think that part of what we may not be discussing here is implied in this is how much they do revere Washington and or... How much value it is to have Washington in your pocket. And they either truly respect Washington or they just envy Hamilton for having such access to him, right? And I think that's why that closes the coda of the song. That's what they want. If they could have anything, they would have there they would be the Grima worm tongue in Washington's ear that Hamilton is. That's what they want, (laughs) you know? Right. Washington, theoden of America.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I feel thoroughly, thoroughly happy with how that went for the Washington on your side. I covered everything I wanted to talk about for sure.
0: I am very content. I actually, yeah, hit everything in my notes and yours that i wanted to cover that's one of the rare that's one of the rare 100 percent completion songs for me I actually we actually did yeah, it all absolutely. even as much as we talk we actually did it <laughs>
1: all right cool well ladies and gentlemen Thank you for joining us on our deep dive today. I don't actually know what's coming up. I'm assuming there'll be some less ambitious things coming up so we can talk more about uh, the costumes and the lighting and all of that fun stuff. I'm going to find out. You know what? We're going to do this live, ladies and gentlemen. What's coming up next week for you? I'm pulling up the Google Drive. Here we are. Oh, Act 2 perfect you know what next week nice and easy one last time i know him in the adams administration three songs not the three biggest heavy hitters either so lots of time to go in depth and explore those as well probably a little less close to three hours than this one if you did enjoy the deep dive make sure you do all the reviews the tweets the emails all of it At Let's Dive Deep is the Twitter account. Let's Dive Deep at gmail.com is the email account. Feel free to email us your opinions, your thoughts, your questions, all of it. We would love to hear from you. Feel free to search uh, in the uh, show notes for all of the Let's Dive Deep Bridgerton stuff if you're interested in that. Otherwise, thank you so much for joining us on our deep
0: dive today. We will be with you again next week for some more Hamilton.